Hey everyone, welcome to part two of our talks on the topic of suffering. You're listening to episode five of the Living the Grace Life podcast. I'm your host, Jim Hobbs, along with our resident expert, lead pastor of Grace Life Church in Sarasota, Florida, Joe Davis. Joe, how are you? You're not the only one here. There's someone in our studio yeah, as well I that I don't know why you never let Wayne talk. Every <laughs> I don't. Time I like he Wayne. Waves, to he talk. wants to say something, and you wave him off. Wayne, Wayne our welcome studio, to, welcome. Are yeah, you? Can you say hi to everyone? Oh, hello, everybody. There he is. He's the genius. <laughs> He's the genius behind Jump Dog Audio Productions. And people so. don't realize everything we say is scripted, and he writes it all out. Well, this show actually, when it comes to <laughs> suffering, this was Wayne's idea. So it was such a good one. We're doing it in in it two was. parts. Welcome. Wayne, as Wayne, always. And listen, from now on, if you want to say something and Jim waves you off, you have my permission to just jump in anyway. <laughs> I would thank you. You're uh, welcome. So nice. Pastoral edict. I've never offered. waved off. I don't wave any. Okay. No, you don't wave him That's off. That's good. We have had, Joe, an over, and Wayne, thanks for your idea, an overwhelming response when I say that to our first part, episode four, suffering, I would call it part one. And I'm thinking one comment was one common denominator we've had as humans, we all suffer. So I found that very interesting that that's something that we know that for sure can relate to everyone. Today, we are going into scripture, by the way. Our whole focus is going to be scripture and what it says about suffering it's going to be it's going to be fun in the second part of our show we will continue our look at chapter two of pastor joe's book the grace life what philippians teaches us about loving one another relentlessly today we will be covering the last half of chapter two dealing with the blessings of suffering that's not a that's a That's not an oxymoron there. Blessings of Suffering. Be sure to get your copy of Joe's book. It's available on Amazon and elsewhere online so you can follow along with us. And as always, if you've got a question, email us at livingthegracelifepodcast at gmail.com. If we read your question on air, you will receive a signed copy of the book from Pastor Joe himself. Do you sign those Joe, Joseph? Do you write some? Because the book depends on how long I've known the person. If I've known them from high school, I was known as Joey. So I signed it Joe and then put a Y in parentheses. You signed mine Bob. I did, I really. <laughs> no, you didn't. <laughs> I was like, where did that That was when from? I was not sure if the book was any good yet. I can tell. Yeah. That's how you do it. So anyhow, it's all coming up here on this edition of the Living the Grace Life podcast. Headed straight to scripture today, Joe. How does that feel? I'm ready for it. I right? have no idea what you're going to bring up, but I'm sure it's going to be good. Well, we the response to the first <laughs> podcast we did here on suffering was just it was enormous, and I, I could not get over the 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 depth of the way people had really not just listened to what you had to say about the suffering that is required of us and some of the benefits of it, but why we do it, why it's necessary. And then it it took it to a whole new level of almost to the point of we almost need to encourage suffering because that is where transformation occurs. So the, the, so we're gonna we're gonna get there. But we're gonna start in Philippians because in the book, <laughs> chapter two, which you're talking about here, suffering together versus right. suffering alone, at the end of Philippians, Paul says, Philippians 1, 27, whatever happens, conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. 
Then whenever I come and see you or only hear about you in my absence, I will know that you stand firm in one spirit, striving together as for the faith of the gospel, without being frightened in any way by those who oppose you. This is a sign to them that they will be destroyed, but that you will be saved, and that by God. For it has been granted to you on behalf of Christ not only to believe in him, but also to suffer for him. Since you are going through the same struggle you saw I had and now hear that I still have. So is Paul saying, and it sounds to me like he's saying that we will be able to suffer for him and that will be a privilege in the sense that that's what he's doing as well. Is suffering actually the way that we reproduce the character of Christ in God's people? Is that what he's trying to do? It is the best way for humans to relate to the character of Christ. And here's why. You know, we think about and we glorify and we look forward to the day that we are face to face with him in his glorified state. Mm. And we in ours. Sure. In a state that we no longer sin, in a position where we are like him. That is totally unrelatable to who we are today. Yeah, he th- we have no idea of knowing what it means to be that way. No, and it sounds like he's saying that it has been granted to you on behalf of Christ not only to believe in him but also to suffer for him. It's a grant. It's almost like the gift of suffering that we talked about last week. Can we look at it that way that the suffering that becomes a gift for us is actually a gift from a grant from God? I think that it is truly the only way that we can be connected to who Christ was as a man on earth is to experience what Paul says, just as Christ suffered, just as I suffer, you also will suffer for the same reasons in the same way. I think it gives us an ability to have human appreciation for what Christ had to endure so that we might live forever if that makes sense. It does. Uh, I think if you're going to say that suffering is where the transformation occurs, do we then need to embrace suffering when it happens? Or are we cheating the system then? Because if I see suffering coming and I'm like, okay, I know this is going to be bad, but I understand as you said last week, with the one foot here, one foot in eternity, I understand there's a reason behind this now. I'm not questioning it. Do I then understand in the suffering that, you know what? I, I think I can, I, th- I think this is a blessing. And can someone get to that stage? I want to be realistic. Humanly speaking, it's so easy sitting here in this really comfortable studio talking about suffering and embracing it and looking forward to it. Humanly speaking, that's just a ridiculous thought. I don't think that it is, I don't think it's fair for us to say to people, you should look forward to it. I know the suffering that I've endured, that you've endured. It's not something we said, I cannot wait. I didn't wake up in 2007 and say, at some point this year, I'm going to have some horrible suffering. I cannot wait. It's almost like you know it's going to come and that you pray that your faith, which is a gift, when it does come, when the suffering comes, you will be able to respond to it 
in a way that makes Heavenly Dad smile in a way that fulfills his purpose. And so that ability to have one foot in eternity and one foot here is a supernatural gift of God. So I want to be realistic, right? I want to be realistic and and not expect people, look, when suffering comes, you better start doing jumping jacks. You know what I'm saying? You better get ready. It's going to be a blast. It's, that's not it. Uh, but there is a supernatural connection to spiritual values that only comes when we suffer like Christ. And I want to reiterate this. We can sing songs about, read scripture about, talk about the perfection of Christ in heaven and eternity. But in reality, we cannot experience that ecstasy here on earth. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So the best way to connect to Christ, to know who he is in his character, in his depths, in his love, in his commitment to us, is when we experience suffering as he did. Does that make sense? It does, because to me, in the Bible, the obviously the crucifixion is one of the worst accounts in terms of suffering that you can read. But I heard a great sermon by uh, Tim Mackey of the Bible Project. He talks about the Garden of Gethsemane and says that Jesus basically has a panic attack during... Mm. Interesting. So, yeah, right? That's good. It wasn't that, that here he is. That I good. hadn't heard that that language used before. And in that panic attack, Christ is he's he's somewhat lost. You can find this, it's in Matthew 26. And I'll just read it. Matthew 26, starting at 36. Then Jesus went with his disciples to a place called Gethsemane, and he said to them, Sit here while I go over there and pray. That's pretty simple. Mm. He took Peter and the two sons of Zebedee, which would be James and John, along with him, and he began to be sorrowful and troubled. Then he said to them, my soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. Stay here and keep watch with me. At that point in Jesus's humanity, what Tim is claiming basically is that Christ is saying, I don't want to do this. I, I, in fact, he then prays, my father, if it is possible, may this cup be taken from me, yet not as I will, but as you will. He's kind of saying, you know what? If there's another way to pull this off, and you can know we what, maybe Jim, do that? That is exactly how, that is exactly how we as humans respond. I love that. I, I never heard that before, but now I'm starting to think, you know, as like a preacher would. Now, how can I steal that, make it my own? Just kidding. I'm not going to do that. But- <laughs> I start to think about the glory of Christ is not just his deity, but his humanity. And in that moment is the epitome of his humanity. We often want to think about his humanity uh, when he was being tempted in the wilderness, you know, mm -hmm. and that's true, but that is the greatest example. And it's just like us, when we start to go through suffering, one of the first things we try is denial and then bargaining. You know, is there another way to do this? And you can almost see Jesus going through that at that moment. But in the end, what we see ultimately is even in the midst of that suffering and that willingness to bargain or maybe is there another way? He's obedient to death. And that is a result of his supernatural deity. That same supernatural deity that is instilled in us as believers through his spirit. He indwells us. He's inside of us. We are the temple of the Holy Spirit. That same supernatural deity 
empowers us through our suffering to be obedient to the end of it, even if it happens to be death. Yeah, the only way we're going to find that is to suffer. And what he does is get on his hands and knees and and says, you know, basically, he's actually quoting part of Psalm 42, where he can't even put words together. He, he's actually quoting scripture, like, you know, listen, I'm I'm out of this. And the the cup reference was really wild because Tim was talking about there's, it's mentioned in several places where this cup basically is like a super thick, heavily alcoholic drink that is God, that people want. People want it. And God says, have it. But if you're going to take the cup, you're going to drink it all. And they drink it all and then they wobble around and it, and it leads to death. And so Christ is saying, not just take this event away from me, but this cup, Mm -hmm. this will of mine. So Christ has a will, his free will as a human saying, no way this. And he's been telling his disciples all the way, look, this is what's going to happen. I I want out. And now he's alone. So you talk about suffering together. He goes and is hopeful that he's going to be suffering together with the disciples. They keep falling asleep. So he is alone to do this himself. And it reminds me, it's almost like a side note, but it's not. I used to hear about fasting a lot. You know, that's a discipline. You need to deny your body and focus on God. And, and that always seemed strange to me. I couldn't figure it out. But then when we went through the worst thing that we ever went through that we've shared in other podcasts, I was fasting, not because I was trying to be spiritual. Like, what is it? If you, if you don't eat food, you're closer to God. Isn't that works? How is that grace? And then I realized what it is, is there are moments in your life where there is a burden so great, you have no interest in eating, and all you want to do is pray. Yes. You want to bring your burden, your suffering heart to the Father. And I am certain that's where Jesus was at that moment. And even before he went into the wilderness, it says he was fasting. Mm. I don't think Jesus needed to fast to get closer to God. <laughs> I think that he had that that part covered, but I think he knew what was coming. He did, right? And, and so I mean, for me, I be, it began to reshape the way I thought of fasting. And we talked about prayer in one of our previous episodes. It reshaped the way I was thinking about fasting, which is fasting in reality is a natural reaction to when a child of God who is connected to the Father goes through suffering, their mind is turned to eternal things and an eternal reliance upon their God, upon their Savior, to the point where they say, this cannot sustain me at the moment, this earthly sustenance. I need to connect to my spiritual power, my spiritual sustenance. I don't know if that makes sense, but it's an opinion that I've developed on fasting that... No, it's crazy you say that. I almost never know. So I don't deliberately say, I'm going to fast right now. It'll just be, this is strange. I have, And sometimes it'll be, I don't know why. I just have no appetite tonight. This is really weird. So then I won't eat uh, or, you know, I have almost nothing. And then I go to bed and then many times, three to 4 a.m. is this sacred time that I wake up, no alarm set, and that is when I begin to get some kind of clarity on, it may not be what's troubling me, I don't know what it is, but I suddenly feel a certain sense of peace and calm and and something is being sorted out. A lot of times I'm hearing something that I may not even understand, or I'm being shown a fear 
that I have that I don't realize that that maybe I do and that that's going to be okay. But it only happens when when I end up fasting for, you know, at least 12 hours or well, I, just feel I don't like know why. If we know that our righteousness is a gift and somehow we have equated fasting with righteousness, mm. I mean, if you think about it, suffering, when we go through suffering, you can see how fasting could be a gift during suffering that allows us to focus on what we need to focus on, the eternal aspect. So it's another thought process that I have in this whole suffering is a gift thing. There are so many things that come with that suffering as like almost extras that we don't recognize as gifts, but that certainly could be one of them. Right. It's sort of a manifestation of this is how it's just going to go because that, that's how I'm feeling. And and yeah, so you talked about the, the greatest event where you suffered with the loss of a, of a child. In effect, Christ, this will be the loss of a child hmm. as the son of man, as he calls himself. And so, yeah, he, he goes three times, of course, and uh, keeps finding the disciples completely wiped out. They can't stay awake. And Well, they weren't suffering. They, they didn't understand. Yeah, they, <laughs> I they, bet you if they had been suffering, they would have been more in tune with Jesus' fasting and prayer as they were later when he was being crucified or after Peter denied him three times. I'm sure Peter had some fasting going on. Yeah, Peter's right there. In fact, he's so well-rested when Jesus comes back and he says to them, rise, let us go, because they've been uh, you know, asleep for the last three hours. Here comes my betrayer. That's when Judas comes. And that's when Peter pulls out the sword and he says, ah, shh, you know, and he, and he messes that up. He, he hits the guy in the ear. <laughs> yeah. It's all like the, the, the way that, and what kind of religion in the world talks about Peter, okay, the guy, the founder, in a way, of the church as this plays itself out through Christ's resurrection. Here he, I mean, blunder after blunder, what sort of religion would talk about its An important figure. leaders so broken, so messed up, and Christ, the one who is the leader, saying that basically my life— I mean, this is where Christ, I think, comes down to it. My life is not about what I want. I entrust what I want to what you want. Like, he gives up. He just says, I entrust as the Messiah. I think even though on the cross, he's going to have his moment, God, why have you well, forsaken me? Which is scripture as well. He's quoting Isaiah or Psalms. I mean, here he is knowing that's the end he is suffering. That suffering becomes our gift of grace. If he doesn't suffer, there is no grace. Well, only faith based upon grace can celebrate the dysfunction of its heroes. You know what I'm saying? Only a faith that's based upon undeserved favor or grace could celebrate the dysfunction of his heroes like Peter. One of the things I love about that is when everybody talks about Peter, the first thing I think of is, oh, he chopped off an ear. Oh, he was very open and and very, you know, belligerent sometimes. And he was flying off this. That's what we think about with Peter is all his flaws. And then he was, the, you know, the guy who preached on the southern steps of the temple on the very first day of the church. So. It's so reassuring to me because as you spoke of on Sunday, as we're beginning at Grace Life Sarasota to go through the life of Joseph, the idea that in our brokenness and our humanity and in our dysfunction, 
we become conveyors of what it is that God needs to accomplish through all of our all of our screw-ups. And to me, the, that is almost the unbelievable piece of it all. And the fact the Bible documents it, the people that say, well, the Bible, look at these guys. They don't have their act together. You go all the way down from the beginning of time until the end, everybody's messing up. And the idea is, yeah, isn't that wonderful? Because and, that means that you can mess up and Christ is the one that'll, that's already taken the hit for you. And most of their weaknesses are revealed when they're suffering. Mm. Thank God for that. Getting to the workbook now, Joe, and uh, someone had said when we talk suffering, they were like, when are you guys going to talk about Job? Because everybody knows when the Bible, it seems like, you know, Job's the guy that just gets the raw deal and, oh, he's part of this, all, you know, transaction. <laughs> that should... Can I mention something about that? Yes. I think yes. it's the most misunderstood application of the book of Job. It is not about suffering. It is about the sovereignty of God and salvation because the enemy's goal throughout all of it is to disrupt Job's connection to Heavenly Dad. And even though Job sins grievously during the time, the enemy cannot disconnect Job from the Father because the Father holds him. All that the Father has given me will come to me and no man can pluck them out of my hand. Job is a picture of the sovereignty of God and salvation. And I don't think a lot of people recognize that. That if Job, facing everything the enemy had could throw at him, could stay connected to God, certainly he can hold us. Yeah, you know, you're, I haven't thought of it that way. You're exactly right. Because, well, Job ends, Job, one of my favorite verses, Job 42, well, then Job replied to the Lord, I know that you can do all things. No purpose of yours can be thwarted. Correct. That is all about sovereignty. Correct. Huh. I never thought of it that way. But then if you read on on that, so everyone thinks Job was the one that kind of got it wrong by, ah, you know, screaming, he's mad at God doing all this these things. But God says to Job that the Job spoke truth. He tells the Job's friends are the ones he says are the ones that got it wrong. You have not spoken the truth about me. That's what he says to Job's so-called friends who are there kind of ripping him the whole time. Then he says, as my servant, my servant, Job has. Mm -hmm. So there God is saying, basically, Job got it right. Mm -hmm. You spoke truth to me. Even in the midst of his rants and tantrums, he had it right. God wanted to hear that. So mm -hmm. that in and of itself means even though God knows we're suffering, he knows what it feels like and when we are. So the words that we use, he already knows because he has suffered with Christ. He knows what it feels like. And Jim, Job ran out of endurance rather quickly. At first, when he first started going through his suffering, he did okay. He did okay. Considering but what he lost. But yeah, he few, lost everything. Yeah. After a few chapters, he did not do so well. And yet his position never changed. 
he stayed the course, basically, without getting anything out of it. Hmm. That in and of itself was how Job succeeded. Because he was getting, of course, at the end, it, I almost don't like the end because then it, it almost rewards. Like, I'm like, what? Is that an addendum? Like, it should, it should just end. He should like, have submitted it to you for editorial yeah, process. They didn't, right? Yeah, it, I mean, yeah. but like Satan is defeated or the Satan or in the way that it's worded, he's defeated His by Job defeated. crying out and yeah. staying close to God with God never abandoning him, which go- someone else told me suffering's only temporary. So this was someone who was sort of saying, look, get over yourself. You're not going to suffer your whole life. Like whatever the situation is, it's only temporary. And to me, I was like, well, there can be some pretty long seasons of suffering. In fact, it may not be temporary if that's, that's right. the end. That, that, that's not so temporary, suffering, right? Some suffering is temporary, but there are many aspects of suffering that are for your whole life. But, you know, Paul says our light affliction, which is but for a moment, works for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight and glory. While we look not on the things which we see, but the things we don't see. Because the things we see are temporal, mm-hmm. but the things we don't see are eternal. So in that aspect, all suffering is temporary in that we can see it and feel it. But in eternity, there is no suffering. But we can also see that suffering can last a lifetime. It sure can, depending on whatever the ailment or illness is. And that you really allude to that at the end of chapter two, you write page 32, easy life is, well, easy, but hardship brings generosity. Suffering brings sacrifice, service, and love, then unspeakable joy. If you know Jesus and trust his sovereign hand, that is suffering together. So by writing that, the easy life is, well, easy. It seems like we strive the whole time to get out of suffering, to get life easy. But then transformation only seems to occur in what you're saying and what others would say is this sort of uh, liminal space, you know, where all of a sudden you are in this sacred spot where God can now use you and, and, and can. So how do we see the unspeakable joy well i mean do we have to wait i don't think we really know how to love someone else until we have suffered living an easy life does not condone or does not lead to a loving spirit or a sacrificial one suffering especially for believers gives you the ability to love and care for others in a way that you never could before it's one of the reasons why i say suffering is a gift not just for you as you go through it but for others around you. And easy life is easy. And so will be the results of it. The results of it will be a mile wide and an inch deep, but real depth of character in life, real depth of relationship, real depth of blessing one another comes when you are in the deep end of suffering, in my opinion. Yeah, it's like the only way that something can strengthen is if it is almost torn apart. And I think that works in so many relationships, in so many instances in life where, I mean, I've been married now 23 years, it'll be this year, and it was easy when we met. It was easy. I mean, I was a TV sportscaster, my wife worked in television. The first rule that you have when you do work in television as a sportscaster is do not date 
the people at the television station. So mm. I waited 24 hours. Oh, good, good. That was good, fair. So I thought was that, that was the rule? good. Well, yeah, she was she was my camera girl, and I'm sitting there you know, pointing me to the camera. I'm like, 24 hours is a long time. <laughs> so when you fall in love and you're just enamored with the other person, it's amazing. Then life goes, and then you have kids, and then you have jobs, and then you learn how things go. And love gets harder, but Love deeper. gets hard, right? And then love becomes, I mean, what I've learned over the years is love doesn't, isn't a feeling. Love means commitment. It's a choice. It's a choice. And are you committed? And the only way to be committed to something is through death, through whatever. I mean, it's... It's basically the only way to find love is to suffer to the point that you that you look at your commitment and you say I'm I'm staying for whatever this relationship best friends or you know you always hear just people get tired of people and they walk away someone walks away like commitment and love, it's an action, right? So why would we, in this book, it would be the same. Someone's suffering. You know what? I'm tired of all this suffering around me. I can't take it anymore. You keep talking about it. Then you lose commitment. Well, right? that's why I love the, the example of the Philippian church. Paul says, you've already suffered and you will continue to suffer. And when you look at the depth of commitment the Philippians have for Paul and Paul has for the Philippians, it's not a mistake that he mentions their suffering. It is where this tremendous, affectionate dedication to one another was born. You know, when you look at another church that Paul had to rebuke and struggled a lot, Corinth. Mm. They were wealthy. They had a lot. There wasn't a whole lot of suffering there for that church. Right. And they struggled all the time. Here you have this small little church in Philippi that suffered for some of the same reasons Paul did. And their response to that was, we are committed to our gospel. We are committed to our apostle. We are committed to supporting him spiritually, financially, physically, whatever he needs, no matter what happens, no matter what befalls us or what befalls him, we are there with him. And in that respect, their suffering was an incredible gift to Paul, and it is one of the reasons why they were so adored by this apostle. First Corinthians 13 as well, as you were saying in church in Corinth, right? That's yeah. the whole love verse. And I've always been told faith means work in the way that it's written here by Paul. Hope means endurance, not this might happen. Biblical hope is it's going to happen. You just have to endure because you love, because you're, you're committed. So you're saying the hardship in a relationship when it comes to suffering, which is inevitable in our lifetime, that actually leads not just to generosity and sacrifice and service and love, but unspeakable joy. And it's got to be experiential. I, I think it's one of those things, if you'd have told me that 23 years after being married, you would be closer to your wife now than you would be when you met but it doesn't, it's not more intense in the sense of the way that love was when you meet. It's more committed. It's to, it, It's not only more committed, there's unspeakable joy in it, it because goes, you've been through hardship. It like, goes from a sprint to a marathon. And only suffering can allow you to do that in your faith. Right. It, there, we, if you don't go through something rough together with someone, I'm not sure you even know who they really are. That's correct. That's correct. I got to tell you, I was talking to a friend of mine this week, 
about the church in Philippi. We were talking about the book and we started talking and I just got, I told him, I said, you know what? I, I'm thankful for the Philippians, but I'm also so frustrated because I want so badly to be a part of that church. Mm. I want a church just like Philippi with its suffering, with its flaws and hardship, but more than that, it's glorious commitment and dedication to one another. And to Paul, I would love for someone someday like Paul to be able to write a letter about grace life. And this chapter two on suffering, I think is some of the crux as to why this relationship, they weren't deep together mm. just because they gave him money. That's not why he loved them. That They loved one another because they had suffered together and it had created a bond that uh, nobody or no thing, including the all-powerful Roman government, could come in between. It's Q&A time, Joe, and you mentioned something here. Let's just go with what you've got on your phone here. Is this uh, a, a listener feedback here? They were listening to, I guess, one of our episodes? or Yes, I got a message from a friend. Her name is Lori. She was talking about episode one. We were talking about the grace life, what it means to live the grace life. And I was telling her early on that uh, I had learned a lot from her over the last few years. And she was talking about how there was an old friend of hers that 20 minutes before her and I were talking, her old friend was telling her, you're, you're a terrible Christian because, you know, and just going on all the reasons. And then right after that, I had no idea she'd had that discussion. Right. She said, and now you're telling me that you learned a lot from me the last few years as a pastor. She goes, that was very humbling. And then she told me she was going to go listen to the podcast. She goes, I'm listening to your podcast at the gym while working out, and I'm holding back the tears. I so, so, so relate to what you're saying in episode one. I might have to replay it a few times before I move on to two. Lots of great quotes there. Wow. So I just, my, awesome. I had one response, which was so awesome. That means so much to me. That's all I could say. Right. And when someone is impacted like that, and that's the goal of doing our podcast, it's really weird. What you just said as we got into this block, you wish that you had the church that you could write the letter to the people. It just, just so you know, it just happened. Hmm. Cool. Right? Yeah. It just happened. Mm -hmm. It's not, you're not waiting for it to happen. It's already happened. That vision of what you set out is already happening. Right. Right there is proof. Yeah, that's good. It was good. It was very encouraging. Yeah. And it meant a lot to me that it meant a lot to her. It's great. Boy, if she's going to listen to that, this this is episode five, so yeah. it might she might not be here she until 2021. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, we're excited. We're like Star Wars now, episode one, but we won't reverse the order to where the first becomes the sixth, or I don't yeah, understand. Can't, I, can't keep up I don't know that. what's. Yeah. I'll get confused. I've lost. I don't know who's going to play you as a child. I, I don't have no know. Idea. I don't know. I hope I get a pick. Wayne, maybe, it'll be me. Maybe Wayne could play you <laughs> as a child. So. Wayne, can you get really immature? Because oh, absolutely. <laughs> that's going to take Excellent. something special. So, uh, well, 
As always, that's our show. Just always remember, if you have any questions, do reach out to us. Our email is livingthegracelifepodcast at gmail.com. If we do read your question on air, you will receive a signed copy of Joe's book. On our next show, we will be doing some workbook questions on Chapter 2. That's the one on Suffering Together. And we hope to be chatting with a special guest, Wayne. Not that you're not special. That's that's totally Wayne is special. Wayne is very special. But we may have a caller on our show. If not that one, then the next one. But be on the lookout. If the phone rings, Wayne, pick it up. So that's our show, though, (laughs) for today. On behalf of Pastor Joe, our studio producer, that's Wayne Dallaire, and the entire team at Jump Dog Audio Productions, I'm Jim Hobbs. We will see you next time. And whatever you do, keep looking to Christ so he can keep you living the grace life.